Hello, Secret Keepers. Making games can be a dirty business, and no one knows that more than today's guest, Hannah Strack. She has gotten down and dirty designing, marketing, kickstarting, and soon to be publishing her new game, Trash Cult. Today, we will be talking to her about the do's and don'ts of Kickstarter marketing, how to avoid over-succeeding, and what it takes to make adorable trash pandas into aspiring Jim Jones acolytes. That and so much more on today's episode of the Megamoth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Shh. Anyone want some Kool-Aid? Welcome back, Secret Keepers. I'm your host, Cog in the board game counterfeiting machine, Joel Watts, joined as always by... Danny, skeptical of any drink you would offer me. And today we are joined by Hannah Strack of Fox Hin Creatives, designers of the kickstarted hit game, Trash Cult. What is up, Hannah? You know, I'm just excited to be here and talk some trash. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Well, we're going to be getting into the trash talk for sure today. We're also going to be talking to Hannah about her journey kickstarting the brand new card game Trash Cult and everything that comes with that. But before we get into all that seriousness, let's get silly with a question of the week. All right, Hannah, so you've made a game where these trash cultists, these cute, cuddly uh, fur demons, essentially, are, you know, vying for different food from the trash. So if you were starting your own junk food cult, what food are you worshiping? Well, the rats are near and dear to my heart because I am a donut fiend. And I think mm -hmm. I could get anyone on board with that. Yeah. Okay. Would there be a hierarchy of donuts? You know, the, uh, you know and what would be at the top of it? Yeah. This, you know, I'm a Boston cream kind of girly. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's definitely, that's top. Um, I think anything with maple icing is going to be like our secondary bottom mm. of the heap. And this may be controversial, but apple fritters can go die. Those oh. are very entry level people. They got to put some work in. Maybe not even on the heap. Maybe that is the blasphemy of your cult. Apple fritters. Mm, true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I can imagine, I mean like bottom tier donut. I mean, I love them, but you know, glazed regular glaze. I mean, you know, that's just a, the common, that's what every, trash panda is going to find on the regular that's going to make up like the you know the majority of the horde but those boston creams those don't often get thrown away they are they are eaten thoroughly so it's a special day when you come across that in the trash very true yeah yeah well hey i might join that cult in fact i might have to come up with a new answer danny did you have a did you have one for this ready to go uh you know i think i'm gonna sidestep the the food and go for a drink here i think i'm i'm a coke zero fiend at this point i drink a lot of coke zero and uh you know i've been hearing some really crazy things about coca-cola lately anyway which mm -hmm. you know kind of points towards some cult-like behavior do you I, I i don't know if this is just complete bs or not but i was listening to this professor give a a, a lecture basically stating that Santa Claus, as we know it, was completely conceived of by Coca-Cola marketing to get I've, soda seals during the winter months. Is that something you've I've, come across, Santa? Yeah. The, uh, I thought there was something about that particular Santa being copywritten for a while by Coke because it was like their image of Santa. That's but crazy. it was like hyper specific to how they had done it. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've definitely have heard that before. I mean, obviously, Santa Claus. Well, first, Santa Claus was a real person, St. Nicholas. And then he was an idea that did, you know, was around. But yeah, that the red, the red with white frills, I think, in the big belt buckle and the plumpness. I think all of that is like, yeah, the Santa as America knows Santa. I think, yeah, I've heard was created by Coca-Cola. Wonder if they could save polar bears. I was about to say, did they create polar bears too? Did they did they create <laughs> oh, polar bears a whole conspiracy. Yeah. Yes, I. You know, Danny, the I think we could take TikTok by storm on this one. <laughs> polar bears are not real. They're created by the Coca Cola company to sell you nostalgia for polar bears. I, I will figure it out. <laughs> we'll get the marketing down. I I will have to say, Danny, uh, slight. Uh, uh, my one thing here is we're we're stealing these things from the trash, and of course people will throw away sodas, and you can find the soda still in the can. But there's one thing I hate: it's trash water, trash juice. So the oh, idea, yeah. like the first thing oh, I wow. thought was like you know cola sitting at the bottom of trash leaking out was just kind of turning my stomach. No, oh, why'd you have to put that in my mind? Because you put it in mine. Uh, and that's I, how I need to change my answer to nachos. What do you got, Joel? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I, 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 it's a, it's right there in the game. I think I even have questions about it. I think it's on your shirt right now, Hannah. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to completely out myself on this one, but let's just say trash pizza is something that does, you know, uh, hey, maybe, maybe I've indulged in before. Uh, so I think that if there was something I was rummaging through of trash for, and this is coming as a guy who's a pizza delivery driver as as my day job i still cannot get enough of it and if i had to go and dumpster dive finding pizza because pizza is good whether it's hot or cold uh bad pizza is good pizza you know it's still good so i'm completely on the if i'm going into the dumpster trying to find some trash and finding the trash worth you know uh, worshiping i would praise the the trash lords for pizza Uh, does that put me with the the raccoons in your game is it the raccoons yep that is partially why raccoons are so popular when people are starting the game they love their pizza mm-hmm. yeah Did, is there an animal that worships the nachos is that a you know not yet but we're always looking for new cults to join yeah. the trash cult fandom <laughs> i'm in for it lizard nacho nachos and lizards for some reason i can imagine those two going together yep you're gonna have Our... animals to people coming up to you with trash cult tattoos soon i don't know it just seems like i hope so look i'm super open to people putting that art on their body as long as they send me some sort of photo (laughs) and then you'll sue them for royalties (laughs) no 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 no. i just want to see it so i can repost it you know Mm -hmm. maybe profit off a little (laughs) it's it's free marketing Mm -hmm. wait it's free marketing here if we can get 10 views on this video, Joel will get one of the animals tattooed on his face. <laughs> Man, the, the amount of uh, propositions that Danny has made about tattoos going on my body based on ve- very small amount of Kickstarter money has been <laughs> wild over the year, over, over this past year. Every time we start talking about Kickstarter stretch goals, it's always like, well, you know, tattoo on Joel's face, tattoo on Joel's ass. We'll, but is it you know, that weird to offer a stretch goal for not funding? I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like if he had his way, he, there'd be a stretch goal at $100. And it would be yeah. like me getting a full facial tattoo. <laughs> I'm in for it. Yeah. 
Ever dreamed of embarking on legendary quests, unlocking hidden secrets, and discovering untold riches? Dive into the world of X, Seekers of Fortune. It's the game that's soon to be taking the internet by storm. Sign up today at xseekersoffortune.com and start your journey to greatness. Remember, fortune favors the bold. See you there. All right, Anna, that was, that's really good to know where you stand. You're a donut person through and through, or a donut cultist. But now we should probably get to know you a little bit better. And what we love to do to start out with all of our game designers especially is find out about your gaming origin story. So one of the first things I like to ask, are you from a gaming family? Did you grow up playing games? We did, yeah. I grew up in a very classic gaming family. So Scrabble, mm -hmm. Monopoly, Life... Um, mm -hmm. Five Crowns, Quiddler, nothing super indie or trendy per se, but we got we got the basics down. I was educated well from a young age. Yeah, we, nice. we love those basics for for uh, and, uh, educating kids and and to how to play games. I mean, there's they're, they're the staples. They're the go to for a reason. Uh, rarely do kids do people come on and say, oh, yeah, my family started me on Catan or something like that. Have you ever finished a game of Monopoly? Yeah. Oh yeah, I am too competitive to not finish the game of oh Monopoly even now. <laughs> is it still ongoing? Like, what's going? On? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's only taken four years to finish that game of Monopoly, but we powered through. <laughs> oh my goodness, I feel like we're getting inundated on TikTok with Monopoly Goal Go ads. Do you guys get those? Just like every other ad is like Monopoly Go, or are they targeting me? Like, I think it's something for you. Oh my god, what have yeah. you? What I'm have offended. you looked at? <laughs> <We're> so offended. <laughs> I, I will admit that I sit there and I do just watch one of their ads over and over again because it's just a weird, I don't want to go too much into details on it, but it's a weird ad. And you ever just see something on TikTok where you're just like, I don't like anything about this, but I can't stop watching it over and over again. I feel like it's a one and done and you're just trading the algorithm at this point. This is your yeah. own fault. <laughs> They're like, his it's like this thing guy. to watch is Monopoly Go ads on TikTok. Search him yeah. as much of that as possible. This man in the flannel really loves Monopoly. Wow, it's off the charts. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, um, well, Danny, it's like you're. It's like one of those things you're. You're like, I, I don't want to say preaching to the choir. It's the opposite of preaching to the choir because uh, you know me. I'm barely on TikTok. It's not my platform of choice, uh, so I don't really see TikTok ads all that often. Hannah, are you a big TikTok person? Uh, yeah, as the face of the brand, it is my duty to be on TikTok. So okay. <laughs> I'm on there a fair bit, but I tend to not get too many game specific ads. I get more genuine game content from people. Okay. Well, I haven't seen this Monopoly Go. I don't even know what Monopoly Go is, Danny. Why are you bringing me this information? <laughs> what yeah, is the. I don't, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a way to play Monopoly asynchronously. Oh, okay. That was something oh. the world was missing. I don't. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess that's one way of getting through a game. Um, so you played those traditional games with your family. Uh, you know, like you said, Five Crowns, Monopoly, things like that, Scrabble. Um, so then I guess my question would be, when did you, what was like the first like advanced game or, you know, like what gamers, like board gamers would can be would consider like a true core, core board game uh, or maybe not core, but eccentric, whatever you want to say. Like, what was your first, like, board game, TikTok board game? I don't know if I've got one in particular, because around the time that I was like, ooh, I kind of like the more interesting games, I picked up Garden Bow, Creature Comforts, Cryptid Cafe. Like, there was a mix 
of them, but mm -hmm. they were all that kind of not too crunchy kind of game. I could still play it with my family without my parents, you know, like being angry about the take that nature of it. They get a little competitive. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so a little mix of the lighter side of things and things that I think are very replayable. I mean, there's a fair amount of take that mechanics in Trash Cult, aren't there? Yeah, but the, it's uh, the take that. Is that, that controversial? At, at, at it, your house? It <laughs> a little bit. The take that, though, <laughs> for the most part, comes from the chaos deck. So it feels like the garbage gods are doing it to you, not the other oh, players okay. in the room. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, yeah, so it's more like RNG than it is um, what dickery, if you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like i mean people people get so upset at, at that take that mechanics in games like when when i i was just at game night the other night and like somebody it's like it's the mechanics of the game is the strategy is to disrupt your rival uh rival strategy and you know it was a husband and wife and it was funny they were sitting at the opposite ends of the table and like the wife uh specifically got targeted the husband probably because they have like a consistent rivalry going on that's going to last them their entire marriage the rest of their lives if they're lucky and you know and he just got like so like a little on the like oh why are you hurting me side of things like people really don't like it when you mess with their like their plans yep i honestly most of the people that play trash cold at least for the first time they play so nice for about the mm -hmm. first five minutes because they're afraid to do that to the other people they're playing with because it's normally like their husband or their like good friend mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. as soon as like one thing goes wrong then it's like oh yeah gloves off <laughs> yeah let's get dirty mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well that's i mean that's a good thing in trash cold i think that's a, actually a real <laughs> we're almost going to get ahead of ourselves but maybe we should talk about the design of trash cold and what inspired it you know we we have an idea of where you started well i guess just to round things out so for, you know the people watching this know where you're standing what are your some of your like if you had a mount rushmore of board games that are inspirational to you the ones that you want to take out and play with people well, what would be like you know like your top four um, well, I have my laptop sitting on a couple of them. Uh, Everdell. Okay, cool. Uh, I do really like Gardenbau as a, you know, tile-centric kind of person. Um, I still will stand by Five Crowns. I will play that for hours, even it's if it is game. a basic game. Um, mm -hmm. Same with, you know, I do not hate Monopoly. As I said, I'm very competitive. <laughs> I don't mind a game that lasts long that's not Catan, because sometimes mm -hmm. Catan's just a little too much, you know? But okay. those like lower level strategy kind of things, those are those are my jam. Well, I feel stuff. like you should get my Monopoly Go ads then, because <laughs> I'm not oh, I'm not a virtual gamer kind of person, but mm -hmm. I will stand in and watch the uh, people in my work play some Meetopoly that they've got going on in the office. Wait, what it, is it's... that? Meetopoly. Meet uh -huh. The meat version of Monopoly. What? Yeah. Do you play with real meat? No, just little uh, cleavers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so I'm guessing all the all the locations have been replaced with delicatessen. Or things like that. No. <laughs> no. Maybe, maybe I think I'm there's not one or two on there, but not like the whole board. <laughs> oh, okay. Are there some butcher shops? Yes. I believe Barbecue? so. It's been it's been a while since I watched in. Okay. It sits in the our head of tech's office. I see. That's how he gets that's, them in. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's um, 
what is the term I'm, you know, that's the crazy thing about Monopoly is it has so many d different spinoffs, you know, it's just like you just replace all the locations with whatever franchise, whatever makes sense for the franchise, uh, you know, and then boom, you got yourself a new version of Monopoly to hyper target a specific fandom or like, I've heard, you know, I heard that you can even like go to colleges and find the Monopoly for that college and like the alumni will play a Monopoly specifically that's like self-referential to the college itself. Yeah, that's why part of the reason why I like it. It may not be my favorite game to play, but it is one that's very accessible for people. And I know that it's something that even if it's not the game I'm going to pick first, it's a game that I can get people on board with and they're familiar enough that it's a lower learning curve for the mm -hmm. night. Yeah. That's, that's, that... That... Go ahead, Joel. Oh, it's good. I was just going to say that it, like we've been pretty hard on Monopoly. We're not the biggest fans of, Mon of Monopoly. But that is a great point because it is so ubiquitous. It is like it can be a go-to for so many friend groups. You know, you can get people into playing a game of Monopoly pretty quick because everybody has at least a basic concept of how it works. Yeah, yeah we get a lot of cease and desist letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, we handful you know, over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Monopoly you know, once in subways, uh, it's it's all it's all cease and desist. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think once we release X Seekers of Fortune Mo Monopoly Edition, you know, un unauthorized Monopoly Edition, I think we will definitely be getting cease and desist. But you know, 100%, yeah. we got to get to it before they do. Yeah, but we're just you know we're just claiming our trademark, you know, securing so, it. So, Trash Cult mm -hmm. design question. Yes. What games do you think were your biggest inspiration for Trash Cult? Yeah, so it doesn't seem like it, but the games that we played before included Creature Comforts, mm -hmm. Oh Nuts. These are mm -hmm. very off-the-wall takes at that. There was a little bit of um, my business partner, Joe. He plays Battletech, and there was some stuff in there that he was like, honestly, we could pull mechanically or verbiage-wise from this or that. Um, mm -hmm. What else was in there? Countalope was one that we played right before we went because we liked the level of simplicity it was like there was enough going on but we're like kids could play this uh it's been a while i don't have my list in front of me i know there's one more than forgetting okay okay but that general weird mix that if you play our game you're like none of these make sense now <laughs> <laughs> well inspiration you know is just the beginning so yeah. i'm sure like yeah um so how long, okay, how long ago did you start? Like, what was the seed, the, the, the kernel of an idea, and how long ago was that for Trash we started. We started eight and a half months ago. So okay. relatively quick funnel to get through this project. We started mm -hmm. because we were doing portfolio reviews in Cincinnati, Ohio at a local college, and they invite their alumni to talk about what they've done after graduation. And this particular alumni was talking about how they worked in an agency that worked with um, the game Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza. Mm. And they're talking about like the process of what that was like. And we were in that kind of auditorium and I, I tapped Joe. I said, Joe, you need to go outside for a second. He goes, okay. I step outside and I go, this was going to be a big ask. I, I ask us to do some weird things every now and mm -hmm. again and it's normally a lot of work for us. But what would you say if we made a game this next year? And he was like, immediately on board. He's like, cool, what's the game about? Like, let's go. <laughs> and from there, we're like, honestly, we've got, we're illustrators by trade. We already have an illustration series about like these trash animals that are worshiping food. That's a pretty easy theme 
already built for us that we could build a game out of. And yeah. from there, lots of hours designing, playtesting, marketing, and here we are. Mm -hmm. I, I love the the idea of you just being immediately inspired in an auditorium and be like, hey, I need to, I need to have a little sidebar with you. Do you want to make mm -hmm. a game? Like that to me, that's that's amazing. I, I love when people are just like they see something creative and they're just like, all right, I'm going to go for it. Like mm -hmm. no hesitation. And then having a partner that you can just be like, are you down? And they're like, yeah, yeah definitely. Why not? You know, that's sweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the two of us yeah. are serial hobbyists and multi-potentialites, so there's pretty much everything under the creative umbrella is in our radar of what we could do. Mm -hmm. I love it. Any any hopes to make a movie or like, you know, something film or animated? Um, animation would be the most likely related to mm -hmm. our kind of realm of things. If we were going into film, I'd have to call in quite a few favors to make that happen. <laughs> that's, that's But it's fair. not it's not a no. Maybe, you mm -hmm. know, five years from now, we find ourselves in uh, animated film. I could see it, especially with, the, like, the property that you have now. I would love to see these uh, little critters, you know, in a little short film um, devouring pizza and, you know, fighting for donuts. Yeah, that'd be great. How long have you guys been partners? Uh, how did that partnership start? And what can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to work with Joe? Um, terrible. No, he's <laughs> just great. We started Fox and Creatives in 2016. We were mm -hmm. both working for Unity Lab, which was a student run design agency that the two of us started at our community college while we were there. We did that in order to give the graphic design and like illustration kind of students enough experience while still in their community college degree. So that way, if they wanted to leave without getting a four year degree, they'd be able to get work immediately. The two of us in that project did a lot of work together for copious amount of hours and it worked out well. And we said, you know, this works. We have similar creative energy. We're both kind of crazy. Why don't we keep doing this? <laughs> and then we built Fox Hen as initially a shirt shop which mm -hmm. turned, well, a web comic that turned into a shirt shop, which then mm -hmm. became an illustration series for our like art shows and conventions that we'd bend. And now we do games and keep with the illustration stuff. That's sweet. Wonderful. When you say you have the same creative, crazy creative energy, what makes that, you know, how would you describe that crazy creative energy? What, what, what's, both... what do you guys have in common? Yeah. yeah, we both really like to jump on new projects and we have just enough between the two of us tenacity to make sure that they go over the finish line. But we're always looking to see what that next thing's going to be just to scratch that new creative itch. Um, and we're both pretty on board with backing each other and making sure that that project's going to go well. We don't drive ourselves completely insane. We are very big on making sure the two of us take breaks together, but pushing ourselves to put out the best products, best creative energy that we can, best building the best community that we can, because we're very people driven. I like that. Do you see more games in your future? Is this like the beginning of a series of games or are you guys gonna chase another dream of, you know, some sort of creative project you're like, yeah, so the gaming industry is an interesting one for us because we feel like any game that we do is so new and different that we feel like we're getting that creative itch. So mm -hmm. we already have one or two games kind of in the works to follow oh, Trash Cult. Nice. We're also the type that we want to make sure that Trash Cult is something that if people purchase for a store, they can still get that. So we'll, we'll keep that 
mm-hmm. potentially expand upon it in the future, but have enough new games that keep us going creatively in the long run. I love that. Mm-hmm. And um, did you ever imagine prior to being at that alumni uh, portfolio review that you would create a game or was it like, you know, had it been something you'd been gnawing on for a while or was it like, hey, I can do that. Let's do it. <laughs> we had been looking into ways to make our art more functional because we had been mm-hmm. doing art shows and vending conventions for, I want to say three years at that point. And we noticed that there was like a downturn of people wanting the static stuff, the stuff that goes on your wall, the things that you mm-hmm. necessarily can't wear. There's um, the economy is a little different post COVID. And yeah. we knew at some point we were going to be looking at a space that we're like, we need people to be able to interact with our art in a different way. We like mm-hmm. doing art, um, but we need it to be a way that people want to get on board with it. They want to pull it out multiple times and when she was talking about games in that alumni speech, I was like, that's it. Like make the art playable. We, we do, so cool. we do kick-ass art. Yeah. We mm-hmm. both oh, yeah, like games, mm-hmm. <laughs> not to brag, but like <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> yeah. part of what sells the game. Um, and we both like a puzzle to solve. And what is a bigger puzzle than making a game of your own? Hell yeah. I can say I can in all confidence say that that is one of the things that attracted Danny and I too making a game once we got started on it. And, you know, um, uh, just every, uh, I told Danny the other day, like we came from the filmmaking background or that was what our passion was when we were in our twenties. And that's what we thought we were going to be doing. But then once we started making this game together, it was our first creative project in, in a bit, you know, after, you know, life had had its way with us. And it's like all the, all the creative problem solving that you have to do and to make a movie is pretty much right there with making a game and that's the thing that drew me to make wanting to make you know movies or do other things like that was creative problem solving so yeah i mean it's and also yeah it's playable arts we were just talking to uh anna about what inspired her to get into makeup design just earlier today and you're going to hear all about that on the next episode folks (laughs) and you're going to discover why i look the way i do but the um uh, the, the takeaway was that she was actually like she could trace back her love of makeup and looks and designing characters to her like Magic the Gathering where her brother played and she was looking at the cards and like you, you just flip through all these cards and you have all these different art pieces right in front of you and just like you know giving the giving functionality to art I always think um, something really becomes meaningful to people when they actually use it it's like when you actually have a skill like the, the way that you look at a grocery store after you've learned to cook is completely different than before. And, you know, it's like almost as though you're the blinders open up, like you're seeing the entire world in color. And that's, I think that's true. So it's like when art means something so much different when it's on a card that's won you the game or like that it sits there and mocks you because you it's what your rival played to uh, make you lose the game. So I love that idea of turning, like making art connect much more quickly or much more meaningfully with people through gameplay. Yeah, that's cool. The, uh, the idea that you're able to, uh, find a way to leverage your art, uh, to drive the game is huge too, because the cost of art production is one of the most cost prohibitive parts of making Mm -hmm. art. And obviously right now, you know, we're faced in an era where 
more and more of this, you know, AI uh, generated images are flooding the market, devaluing the work of people like you and Joe. I mean, h have you had a lot of uh, conversations around the AI generated art in games or images in games? And, you know, for, as an artist, how does that how does that make you feel and how does that impact you, you know, given what your your background is as an illustrator? As an illustrator, I think AI is a great tool to use. I think it's a great as a foundational, I'm working on playtesting game. I need something to get it out there so people understand what this is going to be like, even if it's not the final art. I think it's great if you're not a creative and you need to express what you want to be done with your art, that you can bang something out really quick to show the artist. This is kind of what I'm thinking. Can you make this happen in your style? And as an artist, I... I personally appreciate that because I'm like, okay, I can, I can't read your mind, but I can read that image and see what you want done with it. I don't think it's a threat. I know some people get up in arms over AI taking over illustrator jobs, but the thing is, particularly in the gaming industry, there are a lot of people that are very focused on supporting other creators, not just mm -hmm. game designers, but also other artists that are mm -hmm. building their games visually. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. How many unique art pieces are there in Trash Cult? Ooh, off the top of my head, we got four animals, four food, so eight. There's four action cards, so 12. Another 12 for the miscellaneous pieces in there. And four. I'm gonna, I'm gonna round about, say, 28. Mm -hmm because I don't have my list in front of me where I could count them. <laughs> and is it a mix of you and Joe's art or did one of you take the lead? Yeah, we split it. So most of the color work is mine and then the black and white work is Joe's. So our chaos deck is all Joe and then the color deck as far as the main deck is mine. Like oh, it. that's good. I like that split, you know, so that you can easily identify the different f flavors or the different theme. That's yeah, we cool. have adjacent styles, but there's a little bit of our own flair in each, so you mm. get a little bit different stylistic flavor, for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm lo really looking forward to getting my hands on with this game. That's actually maybe something I should ask. Uh, so, um, you had okay, like you know, going back to the beginning, you had the seed of the idea in this conference. What was? How did y'all get up and running with a play test? How did, like how far into the process was it before y'all were play playing the game or a version of the game and being like, okay, how do we make this good? Okay, so you can track that basically if you go back on my TikTok, like it is timestamped. So I know that oh. we started our game two weeks before my first TikTok. So that was from conception. Two weeks, we had a semi-playable version of the game that we could mm -hmm. give to someone else and with quite a bit of hefty instruction understand how to play that game because it didn't have a lot of helper text on it. It was just mm -hmm. little mini cards that we cut out at home that said raccoon or pizza on them. Um, mm -hmm. And then from there, it took roughly another three weeks off the top of my head of going back and forth changing the game to getting into a space that I was like, let's give this to a good chunk of our friends and run it through a more official play test with the helper text and some placeholder art. And then another month to get it to the point of after some very dramatic changes to the game, going with our remote play testers and starting a, we 
put out a survey basically on the TikTok because at that point we had had enough people in it uh, that we said, look, if you're looking to play test a game, you want to get a physical copy of it, as long as you're willing to give us feedback throughout this process, I will send you a game and jump in our Discord and we'll just hash things out. Total mm. hours on playtesting, we spent about 200 if you add mine and Joe's time up. Um, mm -hmm. But outside of our playtesters, I don't even know. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. that little the little initial bit to having a play, playable game, really like if you ignore the very first of us having to super explain it, you're talking like a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you find playtesting to be a daunting challenge when you first started or were you, were you all like, Oh, we know, we know exactly how we're going to do this. Uh, we're both very research driven. So Joe actually uh, works with like government clients for strategy and research. So mm -hmm. he's already there. Um, my little fun factoid is that I've done like an analytics competition. So I know we know what questions to ask. We're not afraid of getting answers. We don't like, uh, mm -hmm. we all, we know that the data that we get is true and we should to the best of our ability, put our emotions aside and do what the people want. As long as it's on board with the direction we think we should be going as a brand. So playtesting, I consider easy peasy. It's a, it's a fun <laughs> process to me. Mm -hmm. Did you have a guiding principle? Like, uh, the thing that I think I always come back to, you know, it's like, I mean, for us here at Mega Mouth Studios, uh, fun is paramount and frustration is something to be, you know, um, toyed with. It, it can exist in a game, but, you know, as long as the frustration leads to like a fun explosion, that's okay. But if it's just frustration, frustration, just like a nail mm -hmm. being driven into uh, a board. So it, it was there, what was it like the most important question you had to ask your play testers for feedback? Yeah, so we wanted to make sure at every step of the game, whatever we landed with would be able to be played by a reasonably aged kid, so like eight, 10 years old. So something that's easy to pick up. Uh -huh. um, it's not too frustrating that my mom would uh, flip a table over. I think I think not we found yet, our, um, what the rest of the interview is going to be about. What's up, what's up with his mom? <laughs> how many tables has she flipped? And uh, how many games uh, of Monopoly has she ruined? <laughs> there's definitely been some vibes in the room where she's like, this game is too frustrating or I have too much anxiety or stress. So we like to have a little bit of anxiety because it keeps things spicy, but not so much that you're like, this game is just wearing me down emotionally, mm -hmm. which I think pulls back to our kid. We are, we're thinking about the younger player as well as the not so into crunchy the, the newer board gamer, that's kind of our little safe space. We're very, oh yeah. who are we designing this for? And do we check their boxes when they're looking for a game? That's good. You knew your target demo. And that, that's, that in it of itself is a guiding light. Because, you know, we definitely weren't trying to aim for 10-year-olds. We were, you know, older kids, but specifically like, you know, teenagers up. And the sweet spot being like people in their 20s and 30s. So, yeah, it was like we yeah. knew it's like we can be a little more frustrating or a little bit more dense because of that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like our game, we know that we are a hotspot for the 20s to 30 year old. But mm -hmm. we also know that that especially as you get into the 30s, they have kids and they want games yeah. that they can play with their kids. Mm -hmm. That's not going to 
super throw off the vibes in the household for the evening. And that's where we wanted to be. <laughs> Daddy drank a no-no juice and then turned the table over. <laughs> so here's a question. One thing that you said that I thought was really great was, you know the right questions to ask. You're not afraid to get an answer that you don't want. So throughout this process, which were some of the biggest answers that you did not really like? <laughs> uh, the biggest one for the longest time, because it took us a while to figure out how to fix it, was people just telling, telling us over and over, the game takes too long. For what mm. I'm looking at with this art, I expect it to be a quicker game. Mm. And it took us a long time to find that balance of keeping the game fun, but also making it about five minutes shorter than it was. Mm. So it's not necessarily that. It, it wasn't bad. It was just, I don't know how to fix this right away. And that's a little frustrating. <laughs> That is an interesting one because uh, that does remind me of something that Danny and I had with X Seekers of Fortune. Uh, it was a, le a little less on the tip of our tongue, but we definitely had a situation where it's like this game plays a little bit too long as of right now to like sustain a like three round tournament within a reasonable amount of time. Like if we were to, you know, do like, you know, that sort of thing, you know, the traditional card game tournament and for us it, like we kind of knew and then like as we just kept designing the game it sort of like that part incidentally got chiseled away and all of a sudden we were like wait the game is playing in about the amount of time we want it to play it was like going from like four, 35 to 40 minutes to down to like 25 to 30 minutes um was it was it a specific solution y'all implemented or was it just like a solution to other problems caused that gameplay time to go down over time it was a mix of things so as we were trying to fix other things we had implemented yeah. things like um a trash nato chaos card because we got there was someone in our discord a playtester in particular that showed a photo where they had just a handful of pizzas and they said when your opponent's playing a raccoon and they can't find any pizzas i was like oh no uh, that's a problem because you... you have it looks like you have literally the rest in the deck in your hand <laughs> yeah. so we had to do a little fixing for hand hoarding and when we yes. made that fix for hand hoarding, it also made the game slightly shorter because people were able to find things a little quicker that they needed. Mm -hmm. The other thing was when we were fixing, people were saying, you know, sacrifices, they take a little too long to build up to. And I want a way that I can still get a sacrifice, maybe not all the time, but it's a little cheaper for me. So we implemented an opossum plushie that is by nature a cheap sacrifice because no blood or sugar is spilt in order to get the perk of this, but it's basically mm -hmm. a wild card. You can get the perk of any of the other cults that you would have otherwise sacrificed. And that mm. also made the game quicker because it could clinch someone from having five food that they need to the sixth food mm. without, uh, you know, building up another three turns to get there. Yep. That makes it complete just sense. Increases your wind condition density within the deck. And, uh, yeah mm -hmm. that's um, awesome I'm, I'm excited to play the game now like all these things that you're saying are just making me uh, like you know oh i can't wait to get to delve into that trash and get it dumped into town, that got a copy right here oh good excellent i didn't realize that, that i yeah where are you with the process uh i presume you're at the stage where you have prototypes but you haven't gone to manufacturing 
Correct. Yeah, we did a free run of some preview copies that we sent out to about 17 influencers after we got through our prototyping phase, because right now we're in the middle of our Kickstarter. Uh, when that Kickstarter finishes, then we'll go through our manufacturing phase to get our finals. Okay. Did Excellent. you interview quite a few manufacturers or did you have a relationship with one and just kind of roll with it? We shopped around a little, but we felt pretty confident in who we were going with from the get-go based on our relationship. We go off okay. of, uh, I mean, as long as the numbers align, we like vibes. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're very similar. You know, it's like the numbers yeah. have to be there, but after that, it's all vibes, right? So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Isn't okay. it great? Go ahead, Joel. Oh, I was just going to ask, do you mind saying who you're going with or do, should we keep that secret? Oh, yeah, we're working with uh, What's Games for our base games. Okay, cool. Yeah, that that's very popular, and we're we're definitely circling around Watts ourselves. Watts, what's Watts? What the Watts? Yeah, what's the Watts? I should remember. It is my last name after all, uh, except for with a Z. <laughs> which, if I get a chance, I'll legally change my last name to end in a Z. What? Oh, to end in a Z. Okay, I I, yeah. I thought you were saying end in a Z was going to be your la new last name, and I was like, that's an interesting jump. How did we get there? Yeah. Um, isn't it a great feeling when someone shows you a way that your game is broken, particularly after the point where you're like confident that there are still broken things in the game? Like one of the things is like, you know, early in the process, you know, there's lots of broken things in your game. Right. And then as yeah. the game progresses, your confidence grows that maybe the game isn't hiding anything broken. But then every now and then someone will show you something and you're like, whew. Glad we got that one. Uh, yeah, we had one. So we were at Tantrum Con literally like two days before we were launching the Kickstarter. And we had someone come over to play, play the game. And mm -hmm. they made a joke about our hostage, like convert a hostage card. And they said, so it says convert a hostage. So I could convert your hostage. And I go, <laughs> I, had, I had thought of this. And that's concerning. It's like, well, I mean, I'm going to do it. I was like, no, we're not going to do it. We're not doing any house rules today at, at the convention, but I will make the language change literally two days before our Kickstarter. Because wow. um, <laughs> I was like, I don't want someone getting this at home. And we even did, you know, blind rule testing. No one had picked it up until that point. Uh, so I, I'm always very appreciative when someone points the little nitty gritty out at me because mm -hmm. I'd rather it happen now before we print mm -hmm. you know four thousand copies of a game and have it out in the world <laughs> oh my goodness i'll be waking up from nightmares of that for years to come <laughs> no i i feel like just the other day danny uh, didn't we have a conversation about that where we actually weren't in alignment like i was like no it should like i always i thought it was worded correctly because i always thought that's how it should work and you were like no it should be oh yeah like um sorry to get into the the, under the hood with X Seekers of Fortune, we're here to talk about Trash Cult, but we were talking about our sabotage mechanic, I want to say, and during a, our first sanctioned tournament uh, that we ran with some streamers on our Discord, we uh, one of the players wanted to sabotage, use the sabotage mechanic to sabotage their own um, item, their own, their own um, target that they owned and Danny was uh, had been under the presumption that you can't sabotage your own thing and I had been under this presumption that you could we kept the language open for that reason so it kind of fortunately brought us together and being like okay we need to settle this like we need to figure out which which way to the wind should blow on that one and change the wording if necessary so we had a, a let's just say we had a very similar late stage um 
I don't, I don't know if I would go as far as say game breaking, but definitely a, uh, something that we had sort of missed in our communication with each other that was pointed out through deep playtesting. Have y'all had any? Doesn't sound game breaking either. It just sounds like it would have changed the way the game mm. interacted, right? Like if you had that extra point of interaction that you could convert a hostage, wouldn't necessarily break the game. It would just make the game play differently, or could it break the game? It could technically break the game depending on where people were at that point of the mm -hmm. game. Because if mm. someone had an animal you needed in order to make a sacrifice that wins the game, and you were able to just like reach across and convert it to your team and then immediately kill it, uh, yeah, <laughs> it could change things quite a bit. Interesting. Mm. I'll talk yeah. about speeding up playtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, darn, that, that, that made me think. So, oh, oh yes, I just that that made me curious. Have y'all ran a competitive tournament of Trash Colt yet on Discord or amongst your playtesters, or have you just been keeping it at the casual level? We've been keeping it casual. Uh, I would be intrigued to see how a tournament rolls out for uh, Trash Colt and see how people feel about it because there is, while there's strategy involved, there's also a bit of luck, and mm -hmm. depending on how much luck people are comfortable with depends on how they feel about it being in a tournament setting. Yeah. What do you think the skill to luck ratio is for Trash Cult? Is it? it I'd say it's about had... 80, mm -hmm. 80, 20, 80 skill, 20% luck, because it really depends on how ballsy you're being with sacrifices. If you're being mm -hmm. more ballsy and you're relying on the chaos deck to go in your favor, then it's going to be a little more luck related. But that mm -hmm. again is a bit of your personal playing flair. Mm -hmm that you have mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which could blow up in your face it seems like you could be trying yeah. for oh, the yeah. chaos deck sacrifice and it just booms and your arrival wins okay i mean i think i personally think you, sh you might want to just play it out to see how it feels with just a little bit of money on the line but i feel like 80 20 is within the realm of 100%. um yeah, with within the realm of like, I would I would take that. If anything, a, a game that's a hundred percent skill is a game I wouldn't play competitively because I know <laughs> I'm not the I'm going to be the guy who's at the top of that heap. <laughs> People like variance; it gives them a chance to win. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's good when a less skilled player can occasionally beat a more skilled player. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like you know, it keeps them. This is invested. why I'm able to win my own game. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's how I feel. I'm starting to feel you and me both, there's, sister. There's that funny feeling when you're like, I'm the best player in the world at this one game that I made, and then you see that disappear very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh no! Yeah, uh, you, Danny, you were the best at the game when it was just the two of us. Then you introduced your brother to it, and he he took my spot as and took the number two spot, and then we introduced more people to it, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, these people are playing at a level that we did not expect. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you'll learn. I think that's that might be the lesson. It's like you're going to learn more about your game, putting money on the line and making people have to, like incentivizing them to play the dirtiest and the most efficiency and the most ruthlessly. That's when you're going to find out exactly how broken your game is because people will try, like, you know, they, they will find the wrong answer to make them right. Yeah. Yeah, I will say the closest we got to people playing really dirty was when we had playtesters either actually play drunk or pretend that they're playing drunk uh -huh. and just really hammer each other <laughs> to the best of their ability and that was fairly early on and when we learned quite a bit about what needed tightening up in our game 
you know, that's a play test that I think we should run on air, Danny. <laughs> Playing intoxicated? Yeah, we haven't. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to say that I haven't played uh, X Seekers of Fortune Intoxicated, but I haven't done it like for science. I'll say that. <laughs> I, I mean, I play Trash Cold Intoxicated. That sounds fun. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, maybe we can make a drinking game out of it if we uh, if we end up playing it, you know, on video. We're off. Not everything has to be content. Yeah. If I, I feel like if I'm up <laughs> after 7 p.m., they have to be content. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. That's but that is so, so smart on you to think. Let's test the drunk play experience because let's face it, board games and beer, board games and cocktails go so well together. So you might as well know what is this gameplay like drunk. That I like. I said like uh, we we call you know the beer and pizza pretzels kind of game. Uh, in what is it that uh, Jay Crane calls the the uh, magic player who's always smoking weed? Oh, uh, the, is it the Botanist? Are the herbalist? Herbalist? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, but you, if, uh, do you play Magic the Gathering, Hannah? I do not. Okay. Well, there's definitely a format called EDH or Commander, as other people as people call it, where that's that's the one where you just get together with your friends, you op- you pop open beers, you you pass around a blunt or something like that. You know, everybody's doing their substance of choice, so you know you almost have to test for that environment as well. So I think it's very wise of y'all to have run some drunk games. <laughs> now I understand there's some drama around the exclusion of possums in your game. Is that is that accurate? What? You know, people really love the possums. They're ready to physically fight me over the possums. <laughs> uh, yes. So people always ask, is there going to be possums? And normally I give them, at least the beginner, there is a possum technically in the game. It is technically mm-hmm. the most powerful card in the deck. We gave it the crown jewel position. And since that's not enough for people, <laughs> yes. we are also... If we make an expansion, if we can figure out how to keep the balance in a five or six person game and keep it as mm-hmm. fun as the two to four person game is, the possums uh-huh. would be the first ones on the list to have the cult of their own. Oh, that's right. What kind of food would Most, they be rocking? I was about to ask. <laughs> I'm not sure. I honestly would almost want to run a poll of Ooh. some of our like VIPs uh, to see like what they think would be the like possum that. food of choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. The only other thing I could think is if the possums were like partial to a variety of foods, so they play with all the other cards, but you have to like instead of like hoarding one style of food, you had to make combinations. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I have to. Yeah, granted, I, have... I have to play the game still, so I don't even know if that would work. I'm just that's just the one of the I things mean, that came to my mind as a solution. You're not far off. Joe was bringing that up as a potential for the possum that they would be the uh, collector. The only That's thing cool. is, um, if we wanted it to be a version of the game where you could swap out a cult instead of it just being a true expansion, what that would do to the possum mm. as well. Mm. Okay. So lots of things to to wiggle, think over, play test. Oh, I have. I'm not saying this is the right answer, but I just thought of like the ultimate uh, expansion. I, I don't no no sorry I don't know exactly how to phrase this yet again I'd have to play the game but I'm imagining like Danny and I are working on a cooperative version of our game where mm-hmm. you you know so that when we're creating uh basically bosses and scenarios that you have to play through using the same cards and I just like got inspired because I was like what else would be on the list and the thing that came to my mind was cockroaches 
I don't think anybody would want to play as cockroaches. Well, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but I was imagining them in my head right now as like they're the ultimate, like, uh, uh, what is the term? Like, uh, you know, hive mind kind of thing. And so the cockroaches could be like what everybody else has to, uh, you know, fight against if you were to do a cooperative mm, version of yeah. the game. But, co but cockroaches came to mind as like, what else, what else digs around the trash for food? And cockroaches came to mind. And yeah. they're disgusting. So the day that the cults them. come together. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Bring down yeah. the roaches. <laughs> but, but I was also imagining your art style with cockroaches. I was imagining it actually looking pretty dang cool. <laughs> Maybe oh, yeah. I'd make the uh, roaches look sparkly just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do shimmer when you turn on the lights in the morning and they're all over your kitchen cool. <laughs> so, so you're you're well into your kickstarter at this point you have 15 mm -hmm. days left to go you have far yep. exceeded your your goal uh amount and in fact you even have gone on record as saying you're passing on an opportunity to potentially raise even more money because you want your campaign to be more manageable can you talk a little bit more about the decision mm -hmm. to pass on, you know, trying to supercharge the campaign and, and, and make it as big as possible to what seems like to me, deliver a better customer experience? Yeah, uh, this is our first Kickstarter. We have never crowdfunded before. So there's a fairly steep learning curve that naturally comes with that as is. On top of that, this is the first game that we've ever made, which means yeah. that learning curve gets tremendously steeper. It is, we are hiking 90 degree vertical up this cliff right now. So <laughs> by keeping yeah. things relatively contained into something that is staying in a five figure range, mm -hmm. make sure that we're able to limit the number of first wave people getting our game that's less mes messages for me to manage. And if anything goes wrong, the multiplier at which that error is put against is lower than if we were five times as big as we are now, which mm -hmm. gives us a lot of wiggle room to make sure that we have safe spaces to grow within, safe spaces to make changes if something does go wrong. Um, it helps my sanity personally. <laughs> <laughs> because I do not want, quite frankly, 2,000 messages one morning from a bunch of people that are like, when is the game coming? Can I get tracking information? And instead, I have 20 people that are curious about mm -hmm. their game that I go, oh, yeah, sure, I got you. Give me one second to jump into this Excel doc, and I can handle that while still maintaining my day job. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point. Are you all so, using yeah, a pledge manager? Yeah, we'll be using Pledgebox for ours. Okay, cool. Based on what I have backed in the past, I, as a customer, like Pledgebox best. And I don't want mm -hmm. our backers, especially we have 20% of our backers are first-time backers. I don't oh. want those backers to deal with any experience that I personally want wouldn't want to deal with in a first-time backing. Mm, okay, okay. What do you like about Pledgebox? What, what are the differentiators there on the customer experience side? I feel like their UI is um, very easy to read. Their UX mm -hmm. is fairly simple. There's a lot of pledge managers, especially ones that are like white label that you can do a lot of custom stuff with. Sometimes they get a little clogged down. They're not as sleek. Um, and we want as clean of as a funnel as we can get when it comes to doing any shipping add-ons, 
confirming that everything is right. We want it very bold and clear and make like sure that. that everything's in pretty much one page that you're like, yes, that looks all good or something's wrong and there's the edit button. I know where it is. I can change it. I'm going to get notified that it was changed. That's awesome. That's very cool. Um, and I think it's a, such a smart approach because I mean, you, you have, I have never heard anyone say, hey, you know what, we're going to try to manage our growth here to make sure that we can, we can deliver in a way that we're comfortable. And it's so wise, I mean, especially as a first time creator, to limit your exposure by just limiting the scope of, you know, what actually you have to carry out, mm -hmm. you know, after the campaign. Um, so I think that's, that's a really smart thing. I think there's gonna be a lot of people wanting to hear more and more about that. Because uh, when you made that TikTok, and I and I heard, heard that I, you know, that was a, a take I hadn't heard, like I said, and, um, you know, it definitely made my ears perk up. So yeah. I feel like it's a I feel like it's a take that some people do, but they're very quiet about it for, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's for some reason people feel, I don't know, bad that they're not going to reach as big of an audience or feel like they're going to be judged maybe for some reason. But I think it's a take that at least first time Kickstarters and game designers should maybe look into. Because again, if you mm -hmm. blow up too quickly and you're, you don't have the resources for it, you're going to find yourself drowning real quick without a life preserver around. And we're young. Mm -hmm. We've got lots of time to do kick-ass things in the future that are much bigger. But this is our first little learning experience. So I want to make sure it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. So what, what has surprised you the most about the Kickstarter process? Um, the big one being how quickly the Kickstarter actually blew up <laughs> um, in that first 25 minutes. That was, I thought we were going to hit maybe 2,200 on the first day. Um, yeah. Think people were going to go more slowly into it. Uh, instead, I was having a near panic attack on my couch going, oh my God, there's so many people right now. And I have things to fix and update immediately. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> there are graphics to be updated because we already had a stretch goal that I wasn't planning to hit for another three days. <laughs> Ooh. That's, I think yeah. there's a lot of things with Kickstarter that from the setup perspective, there's so many different little tiny details that you just don't think of. You're like, I know, I know I need to do ads. I know I need to get some emails in, but all the different little steps that go into building a successful ad campaign and sales funnel into an email and making sure that you got enough Kickstarter page followers. Like there's just so, so many little things to check off on your box. And there's no yeah. one sheet document that says, here's your whole checklist of every single yes. thing that you need to do. So, you know, finding what you left behind and being able to quickly pick it back up was uh, definitely a big part of the early learning curve getting into Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely you're definitely speaking about the the aspect of um, this whole process that Danny and I are embroiled in the middle of um, testing ads, updating our landing page. In fact, we're going to go after this call or after this podcast while we're still on the call with you. Where I think we're going to take a look at what we ha what we're working mm -hmm. with um, and get your feedback. Now, you said you were already in marketing, correct? Yes. 
And uh, wait, just to make sure I got this right, Danny, uh, did you go with Launch Boom to help get your game set up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. you're on the you're on Launch Boom with us. So I guess Mike, that's a great you know a, a something maybe to speak on. What did Launch Boom provide you in terms of marketing uh, that was like specifically specific for games that it like rounded you out as a marketing person already? And where did your background kind of already you know like make it to where you felt like you were already past launch boom. Like what was the give and take of that? I think there's a lot of launch boom that if you are already familiar with marketing, will be able to help you more than if you weren't from a base set, they're going to at least give you, here's how to set up your ad accounts. Here's how to set up MailChimp. Um, Mm -hmm. Here's some basic things of like, what kind of ads you should be running, how to test those. For me, as someone who's already a part of marketing, I've got some of that stuff. They helped fill in the blanks on things I wasn't aware of. But the big thing that helped me most was their game specific information that they had as far as like audiences that I could speak to, um, what those audiences naturally are interested in, particularly on ads. So I knew where to put my targeting. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's, that's what we, we heard also from our, the person who's helping us with marketing was like just the fact that the launch boom has such a, a big, uh, resource pool, a big pool of leads to pull from, you know, that you're already getting kind of a built in audience with them. But yeah, it definitely seems if you have zero experience that it, it's almost like a crash course in, into marketing and you probably will come out the other end with skills you can actually add to your CV or resume, I should yeah. say. <laughs> Oh, for Excellent. sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Big, big launch boom fans here. Same. So after Kickstarter is over, um, you're right into fulfilling the game. And then do you imagine that you're going to um, jump into your second game? Or do you imagine that you're going to focus on expansion first? There's already a little bit of overlap with our second game because as we're Mm -hmm. the Kickstarter phase of this is actually compared to what we've been doing a semi slower phase for us. There's managing people, um, managing pledges, but it's not as much active work on the game. So we can use some of those hours to work on the game. Um, When I say the game, that means the new game that we're kind of working on, but it also does mean that expansion. We're kind of whichever one happens first more naturally is the one that will push forward. That's how we worked with this game. We were like, as long, whatever is the path of least resistance for us designing is probably the route we are naturally meant to go in. I like that. I have a feeling. In the same market? Do you guys still both live area? Yeah. Yeah. Geographically. Yeah. We're both in Columbus. He's about 15 minutes away. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah, so it's real easy for us to get together. We get together every Sunday and Wednesday to talk games of some sort and work on things. That's great. Nice. Um, how so? Okay, the Kickstarter. How many days are left in your Kickstarter campaign? Fifteen. And you're well past your goal. Like, you're, you, what do you? Mm-hmm. As of right now, what are you projecting to hit? Do you have an idea of like in terms of? Mm-hmm. Uh, total that that you're projecting at the moment yeah so based on what we've been doing and how kickstarter kind of trickles out in the middle of your campaign before it comes back up right at the end 
Uh, I am guesstimating, don't hold me to this, but 31 and some change. Okay. We're at 25. Yeah, we're at 25,000 right now with 15 days left. So. And how many like uh, backers would that be? That would be depends on how they pledge, but a yes, general estimate sixteen hundred. Sixteen hundred, and I'm presuming. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, I guess what uh, level are you planning on pr printing at? If you have sixteen hundred backers, that's I presume around sixteen hundred to two thousand copies that are already going to be claimed. And so are y'all looking at doing like what a 5,000 print run or higher? So I'm going to talk to what's to see what maxes out of pallets um, with uh -huh. our game size oh, right now idea. with the uh, Chinese lunar year here. Uh, mm -hmm. We're in radio silence for the next couple days, but yes. next week I'm hoping it'll be somewhere a little north of 4,000 games based on mm -hmm. our box okay. size. That's great. So about, so about double the amount that you yeah. are going to be giving to backers will be for you to sell in the after yes. in the aftermarket, which that and mm -hmm. from what I understand, that's where the company really makes its money. Yes. Nice. Are you planning to uh, just sell directly to customers? Or are you planning to seek some form of distribution or are you having conversations with distributors about getting it into game stores? We have some very small distributors that have reached out that we're already got on our wholesale accounts and ready to rock and roll at the end of the campaign. Mm -hmm. We're going to do all of our wholesale, so retail and distributors after the campaign closes, just to keep our lives a little easier of invoicing both the games and the shipping together and keep mm -hmm. their paperwork a little bit cleaner. That's great. So yes, direct and also a little distribution. Perfect. That's great. Do you think you'll uh, use the TikTok shop? <laughs> I don't think I'll be using the TikTok shop. <laughs> it's very QVC, and I don't think that's quite on brand for us. <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of crazy, the amount of uh, QVC vibes that TikTok has acquired in the last six months. <laughs> I was wondering you what you were Vanna. doing. <laughs> Vanna White. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I should, I should like, you know... The, who, who, who amongst yeah. us does not love Homer Simpson? Who is not in themselves a Homer Simpson? We have this beer mug here with uh, Homer enjoying a nice beverage. Is it like that or maybe a little bit more uh, a little bit more perk to it? Maybe a little more perk. Yeah, I'm a little bit more, uh, what is it called? The Roadshow, the Antiques Roadshow, I think. It's my uh, comfort zone when selling. It's your current vibe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Minus the eyeliner. Oh, <laughs> yes, I did. I did it to represent Go Panda, Go Team Panda. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, Danny, was there anything else that we wanted to loop back around? Anything we kind of skipped over that you want you had questions about? You know, no, not 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 at this time. Um, Hannah, was there anything that you wanted to talk about, or anything else you wanted to let people listening know about uh, with respect to Foxhead or think. Trash Colt? I think that's a no. pretty good, you know, curve on what we got going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys have some wonderful things going on. And if uh, you at home were listening to this, want to just see some cool art. And uh, even if you're not necessarily in the mood for backing a game, you can go to their website. It's foxhen.com, I presume. Foxhencreatives.com. 
fox10creatives.com. I went to their website in preparation for this and they like the shirts, the stickers, all the different things that they have for sale outside of the game itself, which is already looking awesome. And I, I'm looking forward to getting a copy of um, they just have some wonderful art, some wonderful taste. So if you're looking to spice up your life, you could definitely pick up a few things there. And I am sure you're going to be happy with how they with how they look and and the vibes that they give off. It's it's good vibes. It's like radical. It's like radical in the good way. <laughs> um, so I'm really uh, really excited about that. So Danny, what what did you take away from this conversation we just had with Hannah about um, game design and uh, and uh, Kickstarter? Yeah, I, I, for me, this this conversation was a lot about leveraging the strengths that you have and mm -hmm. finding new ways to apply it. One of the things that I think Hannah shared with us that I was most inspired by was this idea that they had built a business, presumably during the pandemic, the economy changed, the way people were interacting with art had changed. And so they pivoted. A lot of people, I think, would have just kind of bemoaned the fact that they their sales were down and just continue to try to do the same thing. But instead, they, they found a, a new way to get their art in front of people and start an entirely new branch of their business. And I thought that was super inspiring, as well as just the unconventional approach that I feel like uh, you know, you're taking with respect to managing the scope of your Kickstarter. So those were the, two of the biggest takeaways I had from this episode. Yeah, that and um, food, you know, <laughs> junk food is literally meant for the trash and the trash cultist. <laughs> Still All right, not then. Me for the trash water thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not forgiving you for that either, man. Like I said, you were the one who put it in my head. Okay, guys. Now we have to. We have to do all those things that YouTube and podcast apps love for us to do. So let me get into that really quick. If you have enjoyed this conversation with Hannah about the trash cults, about uh, making games, please, please go and like us on YouTube. Like this video because you liked it. So shouldn't you just do that? That's like what the button's there for to say you liked it. And right next to that button, oh my goodness, it's the subscribe button. Look at that. Just mosey on over just a few little pixels over and hit that subscribe button. But you don't just want to see our videos. You want to see our videos when they're hot and fresh and you want to be there to comment on them right when they come out of the oven, sizzling like a fajita plate at a Mexican food restaurant. So go ahead and drop down that bell and get notifications. You got that? Did you do all three? Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining our cult. Now, if you're not a video person, you're an audio person, or you know audio people out there and you want to share the super secret podcast with them, why are you doing that, first of all? We told you not to tell anybody about it, but if you must, we are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all those wonderful places. Wherever they like to get their podcasts, we are there. So you can go ahead and subscribe that way too. And while you're there, please just take a moment. You don't have to write much, but give us a review. But here's the trick. You can only give us a five-star review. I don't know what it is, but you can't leave anything less. We will be so sad if you do. So why don't you go ahead and drop down, give that five-star review. That's all we ask. I've asked you how many things? I think five things right now. Is that so much to ask for? Your mother would you know would be proud of you if you did it make her proud all right it's we incredible how much show. more insufferable you are with a little bit of eyeliner it's just <laughs> it's a real challenge <laughs> well we'll see people in the comments do you prefer eyeliner joel do you prefer this cool joel who's uh oh. 
you know, probably doing some art and drinking coffee and is uh, unhappily in some sort of situation ship that he doesn't quite understand? Or do you prefer play, plain old boring Joel who probably is like, you know, just around the corner from getting a wife and kids once he starts going back to church? I don't know. You tell me and I'll keep it up. But that should do it for all those things that we got to say to make the, the podcast, you know, grow some hay. So, Danny, I think that you had a little something for us. I think we're ready to get into something random. Yes, yes, we are. So every now and then we like to have a little quiz off with the uh, guest of the show versus Joel. And we have a on-topic quiz. So we are going to do a little cult quiz today. I've got five questions prepared. And... uh, I'll ask you to write your answers down and then present them to the camera and we will see who gets more questions right. And just to let everyone know in advance, there are a lot of weird words in what I'm about to say that I don't feel confident I'm pronouncing correctly. So you've been forewarned. There is just one. I I have something on my whiteboard I need to communicate to Will. There we go. Sent the note so I can erase it off my dry board and I will be ready to dominate this cult quiz. I don't know about you, Hannah, but I am a little bit of a cult expert. I'm a big listener to the last podcast on the left for many years and uh, other such podcasts that like to talk about the crazy things cults do. So I feel confident going into this. What about you? I, on the other hand, I am not ready, but (laughs) let's roll. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. Question number one. Heaven's Gate and outer space. Here we go. Heaven's Gate believed that their unaliving themselves would allow them to leave their bodily containers and reach an extraterrestrial spacecraft following which comet? Okay, is this multiple choice or... uh... Uh, no, I've, 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 I've gone rogue. I'm not giving you the multiple choice on this one. Oh, geez. Oh, that, that's tough. Now, now I actually feel way less confident. <laughs> no, Danny, I'm a product of the public school system in America. Uh, I don't think this is right, but I'll say it. My actual cult knowledge is very low. So <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're going to educate the people at home today. Yeah. And that's that's the important part. It's the it's the answers we got wrong along the way. <laughs> all right, are you guys ready to present your answers? Oh, are we doing it all? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm ready. Okay, so I'm going to start with Hannah. Hannah, what do you got? Said Haley's comet. Haley's comet. I might as okay. well say Haley's as well. Okay, the correct answer is comet Hildbop. I will give it to you both, one to one. Very good. Wait, is that just another name for Haley's comet? No, it's you guys were technically wrong, but you know, I feel like that was much closer than I expected, so I'm giving it to you. Okay. We get pity points. <laughs> pity <laughs> points. Well, I definitely get pity things, you know, throughout my life too. Okay. In 1984, followers of Bhagwan Sri Rajanish, later known as Osho, contaminated salad bars with salmonella in a small town in Oregon. 
What was the primary goal of this bioterror attack? You know, it's crazy. You think about someone who, you know, ends up being a supervillain and their their big crime is that they contaminated salad bars with salmonella. That's a, that's a pretty interesting way for one's life to turn out. I'll read the question one more time. 1984, followers of Bhagwan Sri Rajanish, later known as Osho, contaminated salad bars with salmonella in a small town in Oregon. What was the primary goal of this bio-attack? All right. I'm ready. I think I know All the right. answer. Well, guests can go first. Hannah, what was your... So I was going along the lines of if you had it, if you had the salad bar, you would be safe if you were like actually a part of the cult so i went like prove that you were at, you like were a believer Ooh, I've okay no okay joel okay. what did you get i believe that they did it in advance or around the time of a local election that they wanted to you know get uh a specific result on so i put to suppress voter turnout the correct answer is to incapacitate the local population so they couldn't vote. So Joel somehow knew that and gets it. So Joel, I told you, baby. To <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number three, which cult is known for its controversial use of animal sacrifices during religious rituals, often citing traditional Santeria practices? Again, that's a word I probably did not pronounce correctly. Santeria, Santeria. practices? Uh, disturbs me that you know that. Uh, which cult is known for its controversial use of animal sacrifices during religious rituals, often citing traditional Santeria practices? Animal sacrifices sounds a lot of like sacrifices. How much research did y'all do on cults for the game, or was it more of just like the a vibe thing? It was a vibe thing, so this is not my realm <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to warn people about coming on the podcast. Mm. I'm just going to tell them, a... you know, the Je the book you get for Jeopardy to prepare, just like grab <laughs> that one <laughs> and read up. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're probably tougher. And just so you know, I, I'm, I have no idea what this one is. I, I, I Thank God. feel like this is like a blind spot in my cult knowledge. So I'm just going to probably make up a word. Sounds about right. All right. So yeah, I just made up a word. All right, Hannah, what you got? No effing clue. <laughs> Pretty okay. close. Okay. Pretty close. I put tabuin uh, a tab tabuinism. Okay, like that's tabuin. definitely not correct. Uh, no, the it's correct not. answer was Palo Mayombe. So Would never have gotten no it. Is that even a word? I, it's two words. Uh, I don't know if any of them are real, but that is what I'm I'm reading here. So still two to one. Plenty of time to catch up. Question number yeah. four. Cargo cults found in the South Pacific, notably in Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea, are known for their creation of airstrips and imitation of military drills. What do they believe these actions will attract? Um. Cargo cults found in the South Pacific, South Pacific, notably in 
Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea are known for their creation of airstrips and imitations of military drills. What do they believe these actions will attract? <laughs> okay, I'm basically ready. All right, Hannah, what, are, what's, what tell us what about these cargo cults? What are they trying to attract? Much shorter answer than whatever's happening on Joel's whiteboard there. <laughs> Aliens. aliens aliens possibly possibly Joel, in, you, got? In, you know in a way uh so i put down here military planes who they believe will bring rations and supplies and they basically worship as gods okay that was pretty close western goods and technology from the sky i guess we'll give that to joel unfortunately uh so it's three to one here's your last question <laughs> Sorry to blindside you with this uh, cult quiz, Hannah, but we've got one more. Um Shinriko. Yo. Um Shinriko. Um, yeah. Oh, God. You know who this person is already? I know of them. Okay. <laughs> a Japanese doomsday cult engaged mm -hmm. in several criminal activities, including a sarin gas attack. Which environmental practice did they promote among their followers? For purification. Uh, you said environmental? Correct. That's a weird word. For the, for, I'll try it know, again. Um, Shreyanko, a Japanese doomsday cult mm -hmm. engaged in several criminal activities, including a sarin gas attack. What mm -hmm. environmental practice did they promote among their followers for purification? This is the, yeah, the, I know of a lot about this one, except for I don't recall this little factoid. So I'm just going to be making it up yet again. Um, so if you asked me about the, like what attack they did, I would have been able to give you the, the sarin gas attack. I knew that. Uh, so let's see. Yes, yes. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to go with the old standby. I don't think this is technically environmental, but maybe it could be extrapolated, but it's an old standby for Colts. I literally have no idea. We're just, yeah. we're just... I don't blame you. Okay. All right, Hannah, what you got? I'm just professing that I am the big loser of today. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Joel's the right. loser. <laughs> no. Well, you don't, you don't got that right, Danny. You don't got that right at all. I went with the gold Colt classic castration. Castration, when in doubt, a cult will have its members castrate themselves because there's always something weird and sexual at the core of every cult. Let me just say, if I was ever in a cult, I, if people started expressing doubt, I'd be like, hey, guys, we, we got to be more confident in ourselves. We don't need to be doubting anything right now. <laughs> uh, no, the answer is hot yoga to remove toxins. So unfortunately, oh, okay. that is... Not I knew there was something fishy about that practice. <laughs> well, Joel, like the Iron Chef, it remains undefeated here. He is... Oh, uh, yeah. I, I won the last quiz, too, didn't I? You, you, you did. You did. The only person who's tied you is Zazu. Uh, you guys tied at zero, and we never aired that episode, so it doesn't count. So <laughs> It was such an embarrassment for both of us. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to work on my, my quiz skills here. I'm maybe not the best quiz master, but... Well, Danny, fun. We, appreci we appreciate it, and I'm sure you're just going to get better and better at being a quiz master, and your something randoms always like bring some levity to the end of the episodes. But we are now at the, we're after it uh, at the end of the episode, so Hannah, I always like to ask, where 
do you want to be found? Where should people find you? So you can find us at pretty much any handle of Trash Cult game mm -hmm. on all the socials. If you want Fox okay. and stuff and news, foxandcreatives.com. You'll find all the links there. Quite good. All right, Danny, any final thoughts on the episode? You have 15 days left to back Trash Cult, and you should. And uh, you should tell other people to do so as well. Or it else. Is, or else. Or else <laughs> Joel is going to show up at your house and start a cult and raise some doubts. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adios to what? Your huevos. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Danny, thank you so much. This has been Hannah. And this has been Danny. And I have been Joel. Wanting to remind you that you must start somewhere. So why not here? Thanks for listening. Theme music by James Holden. Produced and edited by William Wymore. Yeah, no more eyeliner for Joel. No more. <laughs>